You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Have you ever made a promise to someone only to get to the due date of that promise and realize that you've forgotten? No one, just me. Awesome. Any parents in here? You've promised your child something. And they remind you post the due date of the promise of what you have said you would do and you haven't done. One of the things that I love to do is I I travel occasionally and when I go away, particularly when the kids are younger, I love to bring them a gift back. And if I've been away for any extended amount of time, we actually have a discussion as to what the gift will be that I'm going to bring back. Um, some of you who have heard me speak before know that I have a nine-year-old son who has an addiction to Lego. Uh, if anyone has a Legos Anonymous group, then he needs to sign up real quick. Uh, uh, last year, I was going away, and, and there was like a four-week period where, I, where uh, he and uh, my wife, sorry, my wife and I were in and out uh, of the house, and we were kind of away and home. And so the, the goal was at the end of that four-week period that we were going to buy him this Lego set that we'd got online and researched. And the only place you could get it from was the second-to-last stop that I was at. So I get to the second-to-last stop and I put an alarm on my phone. I do the whole deal to try and remind myself only to get on the plane and as I'm flying away, the alarm goes off because I've set it for the wrong day to remind me to pick up this Lego that you can only get in the city that I am now looking at in my rearview mirror. I land in the next place that I'm at and I frantically do what every husband does, call my wife to fix the problem. (laughs) And all the men said, yeah, the rest of you, we know the truth. Babe, I've got a really big problem. Three weeks ago, I promised Judah to get this Lego. So we are online. We're seeing if they do shipping. We're doing like looking for courier companies. I'm calling friends. Hey, are you coming to this? I'm, tr- I'm trying everything. I've got. Finally, we find one store in the city that I was in that does free shipping. So I purchase it online, ship it to where I'm staying, only for it to come three hours after I leave that city. I then fly home and at the airport, again, call the solver of all problems, my wife. Say, babe, hey, sitting at the hotel I was at is the Lego set that I promised Judah. Uh, What can we do? She goes to a store in New Zealand and magically they have that set. (laughs) God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Amanda. She purchases it, purchases it for the first time in I don't know how many years, picks me up from the airport because the Lego said gift is in the back of the car. And as I put the bag in the car, I get the gift and Judah is none the wiser that I have just spent half my trip trying to find this flippin' piece of Lego and he's stoked. You know that... 2,000 years ago, Jesus instigated this thing that we're going to celebrate today called communion. We call it now the Last Supper or communion. What it was known as back then is Eucharist. 
Eucharist literally means thanksgiving. And Jesus gave us, there are churches all over the world, may take it at different times, may take it in different ways, may have different processes, but universally, pretty much in the church of Jesus, communion is an important thing. And the, the reason it's important, most of the time we are told that when we take communion, we've got to remember back what Jesus did. We've got to remember the cross. We've got to remember what he's done. We've got to remember what it means. And, and I don't know about you, but I find it hard to celebrate what's happened when I'm remembering the one that I love hanging on a cross and he was marred and scarred. And, and Jesus said in John chapter 22, as often as you do this, remember me. Can I suggest that there's a double meaning to that? Some scholars say that yes, it's about heaven, earth remembering heaven, but it's also a reminder to us here on earth that God remembers the sacrifice that was made and the promises that come. You've got a Father in heaven who hasn't made a promise and forgotten about the promise. Maybe you're believing for a breakthrough. Maybe you're believing for something in your life and it's been a little while since you've seen the fruit of it. Today is about you remembering that you've got a Father in heaven who doesn't forget the promises He's made, that Jesus came and gave His life and God remembers the promises He's made to you. Jesus took the piece of bread and He said, as often as you do this, remember me. Do you know that the Jewish people didn't eat bread once a month like we do here? Like it wasn't a once a month at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. The Jewish people in the first century, actually ate bread with pretty much every meal. Which means that every time they ate bread, they would remember what Jesus has done. That it wasn't supposed to be a religious event that we would come and tick the box, I've done communion, done my religious duty. It was meant to be a prompting for us to remember that there is a God who loves us and a God who remembers His promises to us. That, that first things first, we were supposed to remember Jesus and not let the complications and the busyness of life become the first thing we remember. But when I wake up and have breakfast and break bread, I remember Jesus. At lunchtime, when I break bread, I remember Jesus. At dinner time, when I break bread, I remember Jesus. But how many know life gets really full? I got a sand jar of sand up here, and let's just think that every grain of this sand represents something in life. Mortgages. Kids. Mortgages should be a lot longer, right? Well, <laughs> Mortgages, kids, no, kids should be a lot longer. Bills, work, marriage, friendships, my health. Then in the 21st century, we've got these amazing things that take up a whole bunch of time like social media, Netflix. But Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. Do you know what we can tend to do as Christians? We can tend to fill our lives with all the stuff and then remember Jesus. We remember Jesus. We remember the cross. And by the time we get to trying to remember what he's doing in our life, there's no room left because we've filled it with so much stuff. But Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember, remember me first. Remember Jesus first. Remember the cross first. Remember what He's doing in my life first. 
and it all fits. And you know what I've discovered is when I remember him first and don't make him secondary, then everything else finds its level and everything else that fills my life can fit into my life when I remember him first. Because then he's at the center of everything I do, not in addition to everything that I've got going on. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 says this, so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And if there is ever a statement that our generation needs to hear, Let us hold firmly. Don't enter into discussions that have pointless questions that end up in confusion. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Listen, Jesus understands what you're going through. You don't have a God who's so disconnected that he doesn't understand. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God where we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. I love what the Passion Translation says. It puts it this way. So then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent King Priest Jesus, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands our humanity. For as a man, our magnificent King Priest was tempted in every way we are, yet he conquered sin. So now we come freely and boldly where we where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. Is anyone grateful for a king who gave his life so that I could find life? Is anyone grateful for a God who sent his son to the cross so that I could be brought back into relationship? And if you're in the chapel, if you're in online, if you're in the auditorium and you've never been into an environment like this, can I tell you categorically and without doubt, God loves you, God is for you, that you haven't done too much and it's not too far and it's not too late, but God loves you that Jesus went to the cross so that you could have a relationship with the God who loves you. I've called this message the gravity of gratitude because gratitude has a gravity. It has a, it has a, it has a pull, it has a sticking power to it. And I'm gonna give you my whole sermon in one sentence. My whole sermon in one sentence is this, what we are grateful for, we will gravitate to. What we are grateful for, we will gravitate to. And can I tell you that in 20 years, 23 years of working with people, in 18 years of parenting children, there are two types of gratitude. There is a passive gratitude and there is an active gratitude. There is a gratitude that is passive, that is never shown, that is never expressed, that that you know I'm grateful in my heart, right? No, I'm not a cardiologist. I don't know you're grateful in your heart. Gratitude needs to be expressed and it needs to be shown. There is a passive gratitude 
And there is an active gratitude. Have you ever looked at your kids and thought, how did those three individuals, if you've got three, if you've got three blessings, if you've got more than one, do you ever look at your kids and think, how do two so very different people come out of the same parents? Come on, anyone looked at that? You looked at your children and thought, don't make it awkward if your kids are with you. I look at my kids all the time. I'm like, whose parents Like, how can one respond one way and the other respond in the complete opposite way? I have one child who will remain nameless, who is extremely grateful and takes every opportunity to show her gratitude. Like, we'll come home, there'll be little notes on the bench. Every time we cook dinner, well, every time Amanda cooks dinner (laughs) and the occasional barbecue that I do, At the end of the meal, this child will come up, throw arms around and say, I just want to thank you for dinner. Every time. Look, don't get, I'm not that spiritual. The other two, never do it. (laughs) But if you say to them, are you grateful? Yeah, yeah, I'm grateful. And they're genuinely grateful. But it's a passive gratitude. And I don't know about you, but so many Christians, and I've had times in my walk where I approach Jesus with a passive gratitude. Gratitude and passive gratitude means that I it leaves me where I currently am. I get stuck in the same spot. We park where we are when we're passively thankful, but an active gratitude leads me to a greater depth of relationship and intimacy with Jesus because there is a gravity to gratitude. When I express it, it draws me in. There is a gravity to gratitude. When, when uh, Amanda and I went to Bible college, we went to a Bible college that will remain nameless because it's extremely religious and you weren't allowed to date in the first year. It sounded something like his song, but I don't know what it was. Anyway, so we're in Bible college and, and we kind of connect three months into our first year knowing that there's no dating till the end of second year. That's 18 months, people. I'm 19 years old. And I find the girl who I want to date, and I've got to wait 18 months? Good Lord. I need a medal or something for winning that one. So we go to the principal and we tell him because I was the head student of the leadership college and Amanda was the head student of the worship side of things. And he said, look, about 99% of romances that start in Bible college don't last because it starts in this bubble where you're so raw and God's doing so much stuff that... At the end of Bible college, so ends the relationship. But I think you two, I think you may last. I'm like, well, thank God, because 23 years later we have. And uh, he said, so here's what I want you to do. You you guys can hang out in groups and be friends, but you aren't to date. I'm going to tell you, I was so grateful that we could hang out in groups and be friends that I gravitated to every group she was in. I can't sing and she can and she was on set up, which means she had to be there at 5 a.m. Guess who volunteered for set up at 5 a.m.? Because I gravitated. Oh boy, did I gravitate. And it led to closer relationship. That's not a cute dating story. Maybe that's a Christian story. Maybe some of us need to be a bit more active in our gratitude to what Jesus has done and will gravitate into closer relationship to who he is. So we're gonna take communion in a couple of minutes and I'm gonna give you two things that I think about almost every time we take communion and hopefully today it blesses some of you. Here's the first one. 
I'm grateful that my part is to accept his love for me, not try prove my love for him. I'm grateful that my part is to accept his love for me, not try and prove my love for him. You know, accepting his love for me, I continuously become more grateful for it because I realize how undeserving of it I am. And that helps me gravitate towards him every day. You know what this... Last supper, Jesus made a few shocking statements when he sat down with the disciples. When Jesus gave us the gift of communion, it was at a meal, which was a very common thing to do uh, in, in first century Christianity is you would sit down. One of the most intimate things you could do is to have a meal with someone. So he sits down at the table and he has a meal with his 12 disciples and he gives them communion. But he made some shocking statements in that uh, last supper. And I, it fascinates me to watch the posture and the disposition of the disciples as to their response to the statements that Jesus has made. Jesus started making statements like, I'm gonna go away. Well, these guys have just given up their careers, given up everything to follow Jesus, and now he's gonna go away? In John 13, 21, it says, when Jesus has said these things, he was troubled in his spirit. He testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. Here's John's response, the Apostle John. It says, now there was leaning on Jesus's bosom one of his disciples. You know, John wrote the book of John. I went to Bible college to learn that. John wrote the book of John. Listen to what John wrote. Now there was leaning on Jesus's bosom, close to his heart, one of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. John wrote that about John. That wasn't someone else writing that about John. John wrote, I was leaning close to Jesus's heart and I'm the one Jesus loves. Just to get it straight. Everyone, anyone got a kid like that? I'm the favourite. Come on. I sure as heck I do. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was that he spoke about. Then leaning back against Jesus, he said, Lord, who is it? I want you to think about John and Peter had just received the most devastating news of their life. And we find John's response to lean into who Jesus is. I think that's a physical lean in and a metaphorical lean in that when tough time comes, where's our lean go? Jesus uh, is sitting here and John is leaning in to him. His dependence was on his closeness to his saviour. Peter, on the other hand, in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 36, so Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Lord, I love you a lot. Lord, I'll do a lot for you. Lord, I will give my life for you. Lord, you can't go without me doing what I can do to prove my love for you. Jesus answered him, will you lay down my life for my sake? Peter says, most assuredly, I will. 
Jesus said, most assuredly, I tell you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. In the moment of crisis, John lent into Jesus. In the moment of crisis, Peter stood up and tried to convince Jesus of how much Peter loved Jesus. It's fascinating to me that if you fast forward this story, John is the only one at the foot of the cross when Jesus was being crucified. Peter had gone back fishing. Because when we rely on his love for us, it empowers us to go through the storms of life. When we rely on our love for Him, it wears us out and exhausts us. You know what I'm thankful for in communion? That communion is about accepting His love for me, not proving my love for Him. See, Peter's occupation was safe. It was familiar. It was an easy go-to. Here's a good question for us. When the trials of life come, when disappointments come, when challenges come, what's our posture? Do we lean into what the cross represents or do we try and rely on our own strength and who we are? Because it didn't work out so well for Peter. When we fail to live out the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me, we choose the manageable over the miraculous. When we fail to live out that Jesus's power in me is enough, then we begin to try and manage our way through rather than believe for God's miraculous. Come on, communion is about his love for you, not proving your love for him. The second thing I think about when we take communion is I am grateful that it's his love that fuels my, my obedience not my obedience that fuels his love. Listen, it's his love that fuels me to be obedient to him, not my love that fuels his love for me. Jesus said this, you can love God because God first loved you. Our love is a response to who God is. In John 14, it says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I'll do it for you. The Son, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. You ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. One translation says, if you love me, you'll do my will. You know, the religion will always put the wrong emphasis on the wrong part to get the wrong outcome. Religion will say this, well, if you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, you'll do every, how many know that it's impossible to do everything Jesus says? So therefore my love for him comes in question because I don't love him because I'm not doing everything he says. Jesus wasn't saying, if you love me, then you'll do everything I say. What Jesus was saying, then the way to do everything I say is through loving me. Love doesn't, sorry, obedience doesn't prove my love for Christ. 
My love for Christ fuels me to be obedient to what He's called me to do. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I find myself being obedient to what He's called me to do. Religion will say your obedience will get you proximity. What relationship says is when you get proximity, you'll be obedient because His love will fuel you. He came and He gave His life so that I can be fueled with His love to be empowered to do what He's called me to do. If you're struggling to live the life God's called you to live, fall more in love with Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.